0: The Bible Live is your opportunity to listen to the Bible, a 15- to
1: 20-minute reading every weeknight, the entire Bible, every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout on this annual
0: excursion through the Word, Soapy Dollar. Thanks for joining us for the Bible Live broadcast. I'm glad you're with us for this brand new Bible Live Year. Now you see you got the Chinese year, you got the Western calendar year, you got the Jewish calendar year. Now you've got the Bible live year. We start (laughs) we start somewhere around this time every year, from the beginning at least, through the entire Bible. Now the truth is any time you start listening to the Bible Live in one year's time. You will have been through the entire Bible, and you'll be back where you start. So you can join with us right now. Stay with us, and a year from now we'll be back here in the book of Genesis. We're picking up at chapter 13 tonight. We have traveled quickly through the opening chapters of the Old Testament, the creation of the world with the creation of Adam and Eve, The expansion of the human family, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Abel was killed by his brother Cain. Then Seth was born and many, many other brothers and sisters. And the race expanded quickly. We went through a great number of genealogies. The race fell into sin because the sin nature was at work now within the human race and called forth the judgment of God on the whole human race in the time of Noah. So in chapter 7, we read about the universal flood that destroyed humanity. Then Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives, eight people began again, a new beginning for the human race. We saw the roll call of nations that descended from Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the three sons of Noah. After that, they still did not spread out over the world as God told them to do. They stayed together. Again, sin begins to have its impact. The mob mentality could have brought forth again judgment on the human race. But God scattered us by confusing the languages. You remember that from chapter 11. And now in chapter 12, we picked up with the story of Abram and his wife Sarai. As they leave Ur of the Chaldeans and they move to the west, God is still dealing with the human race, but with a man and his family. Now to our wisdom and worship Psalm segment. Psalm 4. <laughs> from the Psalms. me when I call, O God who declares me innocent. Take away my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people ruin my reputation? How long will you make these groundless accusations? How long will you pursue lies? You can be sure of this. The Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will answer when I call to him. Don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. Offer proper sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many people say, Who will show us better times? Let the smile of your face shine on us, Lord. You have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and wine. I will lie down in peace and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. End of reading Psalm 4. for the joy of the Lord is our strength. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. We
1: bow down and worship
0: Him now. How great, how awesome is He. the earth, the entire earth, the entire world is filled with his glory. We are recounting it all now as we start from the beginning in the book of Genesis. God created this world. There was a purpose for his creation. There was a purpose for his creation of the human race and that he is calling out a people for himself. It is interesting to recognize as believers that God has given us a faithful, reliable, accurate record of some of his words and his actions, but it's just that some of his words, some of his actions. We do not know everything. We only know what God in his grace and mercy and his wisdom has chosen to reveal to us in his word. We read these passages humbly. That God deals with these different individuals in these different times. We are learning things about the God of the Bible, not only about the passage itself, about the events and the people, but about the true and living God and the realities that we live in, and our lives, the time that we give each day to different activities, what priorities we should be having as we live from day to day. As one famous writer titled his book, How Then Shall We Live? What are we supposed to be doing each and every day of our lives? What should guide our decisions? All of that coming as we get a sense of who God is and this world that we live in, what he has told us about it and about ourselves. God has called a man now. His name is Abram. His wife is Sarai, trusting God. They have left their home. God is speaking to him, guiding him, working and dealing with him. Abram follows God, worships God. Not perfect already. We've seen him deceive the Pharaoh of Egypt about his wife, said that she was his sister, not his wife, which is only half a lie. She was his half-sister. But now Abram and Lot separate. We're going to follow their experiences. Genesis 13, 1 through 17:27. Genesis 13. So they left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev, Abraham with his wife and Lot and all that they owned. For Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. Then they continued traveling by stages toward Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where they had camped before. This was the place where Abram had built the altar, and there he again worshipped the Lord. Now Lot, who was traveling with Abram, was also very wealthy with sheep, cattle, and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. There were too many animals for the available pasture land. So an argument broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. At that time, Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land. Then Abram talked it over with Lot. This arguing between our herdsmen has got to stop, he said. After all, we are close relatives. I'll tell you what we'll do. Take your choice of any section of the land you want, and we will separate. If you want that area over there, then I'll stay here. If you want to stay in this area, then I'll move on to another place. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the Garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose that land for himself, the Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So while Abram stayed in the land of Canaan, Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom, among the cities of the plain. The people of this area were unusually wicked and sinned greatly against the Lord. After Lot was gone, the Lord said to Abram, "'Look as far as you can see in every direction. "'I am going to give all this land to you and your offspring as a permanent possession.' And I am going to give you so many descendants that like dust they cannot be counted. Take a walk in every direction and explore the new possessions I am giving you. Then Abram moved his camp to the oak grove owned by Mamre, which was at Hebron. There he built an altar to the Lord. You're listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. Genesis 14. About this time war broke out in the region. King Amraphel of Babylonia. King Arioch of Elasar, King Kidor Laomer of Elam, and King Kidal of Goim fought against King Bera of Sodom, King Beersha of Gomorrah, King Shinab of Adma, King Shemaber of Zeboim, and the King of Bela, now called Zoar. The kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Bela formed an alliance and mobilized their armies in Sidim Valley, that is the Valley of the Dead Sea. For twelve years they had all been subject to King Kidor Laomer. But now, in the thirteenth year, they rebelled. One year later, Kedor Laomer and his allies arrived. They conquered the Rephaites in Ashtaroth-Karnaim, the Zuzites in Ham, the Emites in the plain of Kiriathaim, and the Horites in Mount Seir, as far as El-Paran at the edge of the wilderness. Then they swung around to En-Mishpat, now called Kadesh, and destroyed the Amalekites, and also the Amorites living in Hazazon Tamar. But now the army of the kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Bela, now called Zoar, prepared for battle in the valley of the Dead Sea against King Kedor Laomer of Elam and the kings of Goim, Babylonia, and Elasar. four kings against five. As it happened, the valley was filled with tar pits. And as the army of the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some slipped into the tar pits, while the rest escaped into the mountains. The victorious invaders then plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and began their long journey home, taking all the wealth and food with them. They also captured Lot, Abraham's nephew who lived in Sodom, and took everything he owned. One of the men who escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew who was camped at the oak grove belonging to Mamre the Amorite. Mamre and his relatives Eshcol and Aner were Abram's allies. When Abram learned that Lot had been captured, he called together the men born into his household, 318 of them in all. He chased after Kedor Laomer's army until he caught up with them in Dan. There he divided his men and attacked during the night from several directions. Kedor Laomer's army fled, but Abram chased them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Abram and his allies recovered everything, the goods that had been taken, Abram's nephew lot with his possessions, and all the women and other captives. As Abram returned from his victory over Kedorlaomer and his allies, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and the priest of God Most High, brought him bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing Blessed be Abram by God Most High, Creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has helped you conquer your enemies. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. The king of Sodom told him, Give back my people who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. Abram replied, I have solemnly promised the Lord God Most High, Creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from you. Otherwise, you might say, I am the one who made Abram rich. All I'll accept is what these young men of mine have already eaten. But give a share of the goods to my allies, Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Genesis 15. Afterward, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since I don't have a son, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no children, so one of my servants will have to be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own to inherit everything I am giving you. Then the Lord brought Abram outside beneath the night sky and told him, Look up into the heavens and count the stars if you can. Your descendants will be like that, too many to count. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord declared him righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that you will give it to me? Then the Lord told him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Abram took all these and killed them. He cut each one down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, divide the birds in half. Some vultures came down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. That evening, as the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep. He saw a terrifying vision of darkness and horror. Then the Lord told Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land, and they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. But you will die in peace at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land, when the sin of the Amorites has run its course. As the sun went down and it became dark, Abram saw a smoking firepot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Genesis 16. But Sarai, Abram's wife, had no children. So Sarai took her servant, an Egyptian woman named Hagar, and gave her to Abram so she could bear his children. The Lord has kept me from having any children, Sarai told to Abram. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened ten years after Abram first arrived in the land of Canaan. So Abram slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, It's all your fault. Now this servant of mine is pregnant, and she despises me, though I myself gave her the privilege of sleeping with you. The Lord will make you pay for doing this to me. Abram replied, Since she is your servant, you may deal with her as you see fit. So Sarai treated her harshly, and Hagar ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a desert spring along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I am running away from my mistress, she replied. Then the angel of the Lord said, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. The angel added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard about your misery. This son of yours will be a wild one free and untamed as a wild donkey. He will be against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live at odds with the rest of his brothers. Thereafter, Hagar referred to the Lord who had spoken to her as the God who sees me, for she said, I have seen the one who sees me. Later, that well was named Ber Lahiroi, and it can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old at that time.
1: You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar.
0: Genesis 17 When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you, by which I will guarantee to make you into a mighty nation. At this, Abram fell face down in the dust. Then God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of not just one nation, but a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Now you will be known as Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will give you millions of descendants who will represent many nations. Kings will be among them. I will continue this everlasting covenant between us generation after generation. It will continue between me and your offspring forever. And I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Yes, I will give all this land of Canaan to you and your offspring forever. And I will be their God. Your part of the agreement, God told Abraham, is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. The flesh of his foreskin must be cut off. This will be a sign that you and they have accepted this covenant. Every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. This applies not only to members of your family, but also to the servants born in your household and the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased. All must be circumcised. Your bodies will thus bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Anyone who refuses to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for violating the covenant. Then God added, Regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on you will call her Sarah, and I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100, he wondered. Besides, Sarah is 90. How could she have a baby? And Abraham said to God, Yes, may Ishmael enjoy your special blessing. But God replied, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my everlasting covenant with him and his descendants. As for Ishmael... I will bless him also, just as you have asked. I will cause him to multiply and become a great nation. Twelve princes will be among his descendants, but my covenant is with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. That ended the conversation, and God left Abraham. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and every other male in his household and circumcised them, cutting off their foreskins exactly as God had told him. Abraham was ninety nine years old at that time, and Ishmael, his son, was thirteen. Both were circumcised the same day, along with all the other men and boys of the household, whether they were born there or bought as servants. End of reading Genesis thirteen one through seventeen twenty seven. Where would I be if you had not by my son? How could I rise? Your tender mercy always calling from behind.
1: You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar.
0: Even though you were so Abraham speaks with God, hears from God. God is dealing with him in a very intimate and personal way. Doesn't mean he's perfect, but he was quite an individual, as we see from tonight's reading. He prepared his small clan of men for battle. And when the time came, he had the courage to attack. He went after his possessions, and he went to rescue his loved ones, his nephew Lot, who had been taken by Kedor Leomer, this king after the battle. So we see a, an aspect of Abraham's character that we have not seen before, his courage, his ability to lead men in battle. And they moved very quickly. They were down in Hebron. They must have traveled, looking at the map here from Hebron, from the southern end of the Dead Sea, which is where it is thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were, it looks to be at least two to three hundred miles to the north pursuing this king who had taken his nephew Lot hostage. It was a very courageous and very skillful thing they did. They caught them, they defeated the army there, and they rescued Lot. And of course, he captured a great deal of loot and the rewards of war and brought them back with him. That's one part of our reading tonight. First, we see the division between him and Lot. Lot and Abraham are akin to one another. They worship the true and living God. Lot seems to make bad choices, seems to just follow the path of least resistance. And he's not very thoughtful. His uncle, Abram, is older, and yet when he has the choice, he takes this best land in the Fertile Plains and leaves Abram to take the second best, although being the elder and the leader of the clan, Abram certainly had the right to take the first choice, but he gave that to his nephew Lot. Also, he chooses to live among these people that are definitely wicked and sinful. Already at this stage, the people of Canaan have the reputation of being wicked. In chapter 13, verse 13, the people of this area were extremely wicked, constantly sinning against the Lord. But Lot chose to live among them anyway. He wasn't very careful in terms of his environment and what he exposed his family to and the people he led, his servants and so on. As we will see later, they got caught up in that very culture as well and made compromises of their relationship with the true and living God. I find it interesting that their people did not get along. Here they are in the midst of a wicked people who are a threat to them. It seems like that would have drawn them together, loving each other and supporting one another. But here they are getting in fights over the water rights. Who gets to take the water first? Whose herds would be able to have the best land? As Christians, we sometimes get so crosswise with each other, instead of seeing that we live in a hostile world, in a needy world that needs the gospel and needs Jesus Christ, we get caught up in these petty little conflicts between ourselves and our denominations and our churches, jealousies and competition and so on. Maybe a little bit of what we see here with Abraham and Lot as they divide here and go their separate ways. Then we meet Melchizedek, the king of peace of Salem. He is a worshiper of the true and living God, the God Most High. He is a priest of God Most High, not of Abram's lineage, but he is one who worships the true God and blesses Abram. He might have been a respected king of the region that Abram was simply showing him the respect that he deserved, or the name Melchizedek may have been a standing title for all the kings of Salem in the New Testament, we're told very clearly that he is a type of an example of Jesus the Messiah. We're told that in Hebrews chapter 7 in the New Testament. A type is an Old Testament event or a teaching or an individual that is so closely related to what Christ did that it illustrates a lesson about the Messiah. Abram gives him allegiance. Abram pays a tithe to him. Others say that Melchizedek was perhaps a pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity in bodily form. And then we see in chapter 15 this first promise of God that Abram will have a son. Well, when we turn to Genesis chapter 12, the Bible takes another turn there. Up to then we've been talking about the big story. We've been looking at the big picture, God dealing with the human race. He reveals himself to all men everywhere and he judges the nations. He judges the peoples and so on. Of course, we see isolated incidents, Adam and Eve and then Noah, but mainly dealing with big people groups and expansion of the human race. And now we come down to chapter 12. God begins to deal specifically, intentionally with one individual, Abram and his wife Sarai. And we see the same Characteristics, though, of grace, of mercy, of long-suffering, but God is guiding him and revealing himself to him and revealing through Abraham to the other nations around him. See you next time. The
1: Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget...